Hello and welcome to me, People, Simon Places, Hull. Power with me, Nick Cull. In this podcast, we talk about issues of international reputation, foreign policy, and a few other things along the way. And today, we are going to take a look at the Good Country Index, the latest version of it, uh, which is version 1.5, and that has just been published. So congratulations, Simon. Simon, do you want to just introduce for new listeners what Good Country Index is and um, mm, with, with where pleasure. it comes from well, as, as an idea? Is, it's been published every year, more or less, um, since uh, 2014. And it's a project which is attempting to measure something which hasn't previously been measured and isn't measured elsewhere, which is uh, the impact that countries have on the world outside their own borders. Now, as we know, we we live in a world that's absolutely crowded with uh, country rankings of one kind or another. There are any number of uh, surveys and polls and and rankings, and I publish a few of them myself. Um, But they all have one thing in common, which is that they tend to look at countries as if they were entirely uh, discrete, separate entities from the rest of the planet. In other words, we use them as convenient units of measurement. So whether we're measuring um, self-reported happiness or or GDP or GNI or transparency or whatever, it's always country by country with no uh, numerical reference to other countries. And it struck me several years ago that that was slightly out of tune with the reality that we're living in, where we're in a massively interconnected, interdependent world, and where everything that goes on in one country, as we're endlessly and correctly mm-hmm. told, will sooner or later have an impact elsewhere. And that's particularly true of the climate, but it's, it's true of almost everything we do. So I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to, uh, to do a study that, that measures the behaviors of countries, but not domestically? So you ignore completely all of the domestic factors, not because that's unimportant, of course, but it's measured so well in so many other places and there's no point in redoing all of that. But instead, um, to measure what countries' impact is on the world outside their own borders, positive or negative. So a sort of balance sheet. So you can look at any country in the index and you can basically ask and answer the question, should I feel glad that this country exists in the world? Should I feel glad that it's there? Is it doing more harm or is it doing more good to the world that we all live in and the world that our children and grandchildren are going to inherit? So obviously that's a very difficult thing to measure. Um, And I am always anxious to point out that the Good Country Index uh, neither claims nor pretends to be able to measure that exhaustively or to provide any kind of further answer. On the contrary, it's the beginning of a conversation. So what we try and do is just put some data in front of people so that they can start having slightly better informed discussions about which countries are good for the world and which ones are free riders on the international system. So very briefly, the way that it works is that we've got 35 data sets, the majority of which come from the UN family, um, because the UN is one of the very few organizations that's got the resources to actually measure reality every year in 150, 160 plus countries, robustly, reliably, and despite what some people say, fairly, because most of the data is collected by the country's own national statistical offices. So so they're providing the data in many cases, or certainly reviewing it when they're not Mm -hmm. providing it. So this isn't some sort of 
um, UN-driven Western plot um, to impose numbers on other countries. This is a truly, a truly global effort. And um, a few other organizations that produce uh, good, objective, reliable, robust data every year. And we mash all of those together and we produce seven subcategories in areas like, for example, um, uh, culture. Um, what does uh, each country contribute uh, in cultural terms to the rest of the world? Um, peace and security, uh, planet and environment, health mm -hmm. and well-being, and so on and so forth, um, and an overall ranking. It's pretty controversial, and that's exactly what it's designed to be, because the ultimate aim is to try and get people to start asking new questions about countries. Instead of forever asking, how well is this country doing? Uh, we want to encourage people to start asking, how much is this country doing? Because it seems to me that that's the important question to ask. Well, that's what and one one of the things that one of the things that I admire about it is that you adjust for yeah. the wealth of the country. So uh, we we are in a situation where it's it's not based on absolute numbers. So uh, in every mm. good country index, there are a few surprises where countries that might contribute in uh, terms of absolute money are. Uh, show up um, less well than they might expect uh, because they are so rich that they should really be doing a lot more. And the headline on this uh, typically is how is the United States doing? Uh, how does it measure up when you adjust its contributions mm -hmm. for uh, the size of its economy? And uh, this time round, roll of drums, mm -hmm. uh, the US is... What it's forty-four mid forties? Is it forty-seven? Yeah. Something like that. Forty-four. Well, that's um, um, uh, no. It's slightly is that worse, better than last it, time. At least it's pulled no. away from Russia. I'm, I'm sure we're going to come back and talk about Russia again in a minute. But Russia is dropping rather rapidly. Remember, this is 2020 data. Yeah, this is the thing that has to be stressed. With all of these big data sets, right. the various UN bodies that collect them, it takes a good two years for them to pull in all of that data, check it and publish it. So unfortunately, this can never be a survey that takes place in real time. So we're looking at 2020 um, and uh, the Russian Federation is down at 58th. Now, you may well say, or a, a listener might well say, why are you comparing Russia and America? Well, only because in the previous edition, they were neck and neck. And relative to the size of their economies, it was quite striking that according to the measurements we use, which are the best we can find, Russia and America contributed about the same good to the world outside their own borders. So a gulf is beginning to open up between them now and Russia is a long way further, than, uh, even on 2020 figures. By the time the 2022 figures start to appear um, in, uh, in, in a couple of years' time, um, I've no doubt that we'll see Russia very near the bottom. And hopefully... Um, revised U.S. policies towards international organizations that have come in with the Biden administration will uh, pay off and the U.S. will recover to, I think it's traditionally been um, in the 20s, it, it's hasn't it? certainly been in, an awful in, uh, lot good higher country. Than, than the 40s. I mean, if we, um, if we look at, for example, 1.2, uh, which um, I can't remember the exact year of that, but that must have been about 19... Um, about 20, uh, 2020, so in other words, 2018 data, um, it was 29th. So, uh, so low 20s yes. back then, 
Um, right. Uh, and right. Uh, what have we got here? 33rd in edition 1.3. So it's dropping, um, as is the UK. It's dropping more sharply than the UK because uh, the Trump effect on uh, America's external engagement has been more pronounced so far than the Brexit effect on Britain's. But again, absolutely uh, essential to emphasize this, yes. just in case anybody hasn't, hasn't caught this. This is not an opinion poll. We're not measuring people's feelings or judgments about countries. What we're yes. doing is we're using data that actually measures their behavior. Now, obviously, that's always going to be tokens for behavior. Yes. Because some of the stuff that you would really, really like to measure just isn't measured. And I don't have the resources to do primary research in 169 countries. Um, but we do the best that we can. And I think overall, with 35 data sets, you get a pretty good idea about how much each country is working for the common good. Well, another thing that I like about th th this work is that in some ways it validates the stuff that is based on opinion uh, because there's such an overlap, for example, mm. with uh, Nation Brands Index. Um, you, you, you know, when you compared them, you were you were looking in the 80s uh, in That's terms right. of overlap. They correlate very, like very strongly. So overlap. It, it proves my favorite thesis, which is that if countries want good images, and they do want good images because that improves trade, tourism, investment, all the rest of it, the best way of getting a good image is to behave yourself. And not just behave yourself domestically. No, this is not about domestic good governance. This is about but what it, you contribute to the world. And it proves right. what I like, which is that people are not stupid. And that if you do bad stuff in the world, if you freeload and don't contribute what you ought, people, give them given enough time, people will notice. And I think that's actually quite quite encouraging and suggests that there should be a, a respect for international uh, opinion. But let's go to the let's go to the top of the of of the table. And um, you know, to me, it's starting yeah. to look stable up up at the up at the top yeah. end. So once again, uh, Sweden yeah. uh, is and, and, goodest country, and I think this time Denmark's and, number two, no, and Netherlands uh, is two, Germany's Denmark's number three. So never. Oh, okay. I got, I got it the wrong way. Okay, but that's still that's looking. Um, uh, that's that's pretty much um, as um, it's yes, been in, in past um, years, it, correct? It is, and um, more or less often noted. There's a significant preponderance of uh, Western European democracies, uh, often in EU member states, at the top of the index, um, and lots of people are quite interested in what that what that means and what it implies. Um, I hasten to add that it neither means nor implies that um, I've cooked the books because I'm European and I somehow want to give Europe an even better look than it's already got. Um, it's a more interesting question that people ask, and to some extent uh, it's an entirely justifiable question, is, um, is the thing cooked up perhaps unintentionally in such a way that it reflects Western values? Um, the things that you think are good for the world, are they things that are designed for um, Western countries to perform well in? That's a very, very difficult question to answer um, because, of course, we are tied down by the data that's available. But I insist and maintain that the vast majority of the things that we're measuring here are universal goods. 
you know, it, it doesn't. It, you don't have to go tie yourself mm-hmm. up yes. in knots of cultural relativism to figure out that emitting a lot of CO2 or killing a lot of people in other countries is not a good thing to do. Um, and so many of these indicators uh, really do reflect, uh, if not universal values, certainly universally agreed principles of uh, good and moral behavior. So I think that the the difficult thing that we have to face is that the reason why there are so many um, European countries at the top is because European countries, generally speaking, are the ones that collaborate and cooperate most, have the longest experience and habit of doing so, and have seen the benefits right. of thinking outwardly um, and uh, and uh, being part of a functioning international community. And other countries are only just beginning to catch up with the understanding that that gives you a better life as a country. So I think the highest rated non-European country is is Canada, uh, is that which is I think number six this time round. I've got the the. Uh, figures here, and then you have to go uh, quite a way in to um, get to somebody. Yes. I'm, uh, I'm sorry, Nick. I've just uh, realised at this afield. moment that the version I was looking at was different from yours. So uh, just to be clear, just to be clear, you were right. It's Sweden number one, Denmark <laughs> number two, Germany number three, Netherlands number four. Um, well, as my mother-in-law is from Denmark, it is. <laughs> I like. I, it's, I it's like a point worth remembering when you're using doing, the, you know, uh, so. the the online uh, rankings. Uh, if you've selected any of the filters, folks, remember to refresh the page afterwards. Otherwise, you get stuck with the same ranking. So yes, Canada number six, um, honor, honorary um, member of the of Europe in in some respects, and uh, you you have to go a fairly long way down before you find another non-European country. Um, in fact, as far as mm-hmm. 18th before you hit Australia, followed by New Zealand, and then back to Europe again. And so, as I say, mm-hmm. um, this is um, this is what Europe teaches you um, that working with other countries uh, in in uh, in a collaborative and constructive way not only makes life better for um, the rest of the world it also improves conditions at home. And that's why these countries do it. And that's why I think it's right that they should be applauded mm-hmm. for it. But having said that, I'm not slow clapping the countries at the bottom. Um, the opposite of a good country in this context is not a bad country. We're not, uh, we're not making moral judgments on the countries at the bottom because, uh, as anybody can see very quickly, the vast majority of them are desperately poor countries. And no surprises at all if they if they divert the majority of their efforts um, towards domestic issues, um, but that doesn't mean that it's not a conversation that can be had. And uh, there are countries down there which are not desperately poor, um, and which nonetheless um, look uh, uh, look inwards could afford to do more. But afford to do more is a misleading expression because it suggests this is about spending money. It's not. And out of the third. Yes. But, you know, the, the, here you've got a, a good example mm. is, you know, a contrast between UAE, yeah. uh, which is sort of in the middle, and mm. Qatar, uh, which has money to spend, but isn't well, spending and, and it on maybe the Maybe it is spending money good. on the collective good, but of those 35 indicators, it's just not what performing well across them. So, so money is no excuse. Um, of the 35 indicators, I would say a good um, 30 of them have really got nothing directly to do with money at all. 
which is why you can get results like the famous fact that Kenya got into the top 30 in the first edition. Um, it's a, a good country. The good country index is not, repeat, not a list of rich countries that give the most spare cash to poor countries because that's a very old, very tired, very limiting, and in some respects, rather um, uh, rather offensive view of the world. Um, you can you can do well in this index mm-hmm. simply by taking advantages advantage of uh, the opportunities that the international community offers to all countries today, and um, and so a, a good example of that would be uh, South Africa showing right, up a absolutely. couple of places ahead um, of the United now, States. But you know the, the um, UAE is yes. sixty five, uh, Qatar is one hundred and nine, which really speaks to some kind of uh, um, missing. Uh, yes, absolutely. Missing and, element and, um, in their engagement. You know, obviously, uh, it, it would take uh, a very long time for us to go through each indicator and see what's happening there. But you can see immediately if you glance across uh, Qatar's results. Um, that it's 143rd in terms of uh, its sharing of science and technology internationally. It's also 143rd in planet and climate. Mm-hmm. Remember, these are all global contributions. It's 136th in culture. Now, a lot of people would say, well, it's not mm-hmm. fair because, you know, not every in- culture, not, not everybody can be um, Greece or Mexico or India or China. But this isn't about how much culture you've got. This is about how um, effectively and enthusiastically you share the culture that you have got with people in other countries. And that's why in the culture rankings, you find, for example, Belgium in first mm-hmm. place. Now, Belgium, Belgium can't compete with a great many other countries right. in terms of the quantity or, dare I say it, even the quality or importance of its cultural output. But it beats the lot with, uh, in proportion to the size of its economy with how hard it tries the efforts that it makes to share its culture with others. And that's why it's at the top on culture, not because it's got the best culture in the world. Likewise, science and technology. Lots of people say, why isn't America on top in science and technology? Well, of course, America is on top in terms of the of, of its of its sophistication, its power in science and technology. But it's not on top when it comes to how effectively it shares that internationally. Through Through companies, yes, of course. But we don't include mm-hmm. the commercial aspects here because that's a separate thing. What we're trying to measure here is what countries do. We're not trying to measure what companies do. So if you were to throw in, uh, you know, Apple and Microsoft, then, of course, the United States would rank a good deal higher on the, on the degree to which it shares its science, science and technology. But selling your scientific and technological products to people in other countries uh, isn't part of this indicator. No. Um, but we, over the years, we've we've looked and talked about uh, the performance of mm. of China and and Russia. I think China here is coming in at number sixty nine. Uh, that's correct. Yeah. Um, and yes, so that's pretty um, much where they were last um, time. I think, isn't it? Yes, but I mean, in a list of one hundred and sixty-nine countries, yeah. uh, nine places is statistically insignificant. Yeah, it's um, but what's the story with what's the story with uh, Russia? Because they do seem to be showing a well downward um, trajectory. The, 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 the fact of the matter is that that, that Russia 
in a very different way and for very different reasons and at a different speed is nonetheless doing what the United States is doing or, or was during, has been during this period. It's retreating from international engagement. Um, and, um, you, you know, as the, as the years pass under the Putin regime, um, Russia appears to turn more and more inwards and contributes less and less um, to, uh, to, to the international community. And um, the data that we're looking at now in edition 1.5, mm-hmm. so 2020, we've already got um, the consequences of its, mm-hmm. um, of its annexation of Crimea starting to filter in. Um, and that's why in, for example, international peace and security, it ranks 87th. So in the, almost in the bottom quartile there. Um, 103rd when it comes to its contribution to prosperity mm-hmm. and equality. So it's not trading fully and openly in the international community as much as it used to. Um, and uh, 118th in culture. So it's not sharing its culture as, as much or as enthusiastically. Which is very, you know, it's very sad given the significance oh, of uh, Russian culture historically uh, to see Russia diminish to 118th in terms of what it's sharing is uh, absolutely and, um, and um, very and, um, obviously the, the it, Russia scores very low and already did score very low on press freedom um, as uh, as as measured by Reporters Without Borders and Freedom House um, and that loses it a, a big chunk of its score mm-hmm. um, because it because it's weak on press freedom and that's obviously part of your contribution to global culture. Um, we, we have a, a new indicator this year, um, which is the, um, the number of international events which countries host, um, because the Union of International Associations oh, yes. uh, produces a very interesting ranking uh, showing the number of international events hosted in, in, in different cities and different countries around the world. And uh, Russia is very, very, very far below the average on that one, so it loses, it loses marks for that as well. And, you know, people might say, well, who cares? Well, it's a mark, like all of these other uh, indicators, of how open you are to the international community, how strongly you participate in the good side of globalization, um, Mm -hmm. and how um, enthusiastic you are about sharing your knowledge, sharing your experience, sharing your opportunities with others. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, but what were the surprises for you? Oh, I should say, um, uh, you 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 had a particular issue around Russian arms exports. Yes, we've got a, we've how got did a you, problem with how did you deal uh, with, with that? Russia's uh, weapons exports. Um, Russia is, uh, as, as most people know, um, uh, one of the world's major exporters of of weapons. Um, unfortunately, the, the the data on Russia's weapon exports uh, is very very poor. And the main indicator that we use for for arms exports is the one produced by the International Trade Congress, um, which is related to the the UN. Uh, Intracen or the ITC um, produce a very good Mm -hmm. annual report on on, uh, the the dollar value of weapons exports from each country. Unfortunately, Russia has been reporting zero on that indicator since about 2013. Now, obviously, when we don't have a number um, for a country, we don't put in zero because that's a false result. What we tend to do is we try to impute what the value would be using a time series. 
Um, so if we've got data for the for, for you know three years ago, four years ago, and five years ago, then we can make an educated um, scientific guess as to where it's probably at the moment, and that's the best one can do in those situations. But in the case of Russia, since we haven't had any data since 2013, it's really no good. Now, we didn't want to drop Russia altogether, and particularly on this indicator, because it's such an important one, given what's going on. We really think it's important that people should know what Russia is contributing, positive or negative, and largely negative, um, in this area. So what we did is something rather unusual. Um, we took some data from another source. Um, the Congressional Research Service um, in, in, in the US um, produces a report called right. Russian Arms Sales and Defense Industry. And they put in a number there, which is about, if memory serves, about $2.4 billion um, in, uh, in 2020. So we've taken that figure because it's quite a modest estimate. It's significantly, in fact, it's half uh, what was actually recorded back in 2013. So it may be low, um, but at least it's a real figure and it comes from some reliable research and it's an awful lot closer to reality than zero. Um, so what that's done is uh, it's, it's pushed mm -hmm. Russia down to a much more plausible and likely place in that particular indicator um, than, right. than would have been the case if we'd only put zero in there. Right. But I'm rather hoping, I'm rather hoping we'll be able to find and, some and, better data in, by, the, by the time the next edition comes along. So when you when you looked mm. at this year's run of data, what what's were you, were there any surprises? I mean, you're famously jaded with this material, you know. Uh, but was there anything that made you sit up? I I, I thought I thought it was great that Cyprus was in the yeah, top absolutely. twenty. Yeah, that uh, um, that's terrific. I, I don't I want I don't want to diminish the achievement of Cyprus because it does mean a lot and it's and it's important. However, um, small countries <coughs> are intrinsically more volatile, and that's just because. Um, the numbers are smaller, right. the, the, the dollar values or the headcounts or whatever it is you're counting. Um, and so a relatively small change can make a relatively mm. large difference. Um, you know, America can change a few things here and there, and it's very unlikely to make a dramatic change in its, uh, in its ranking. Cyprus can change four things and rock it up four or five places. Now, I don't mind that. Um, and I think it's good. And I think it makes mm. it interesting. But it is something to bear in mind. You know, you will if you're watching Cyprus, you will see it bobbing up and down quite a lot. But if it gets to um, <coughs> 16, well, it's got to 16, and that's um, that's that's entirely creditable. Do you have any uh, evidence? I, you know, I know analysts look at this, but do you have any evidence that governments? look at it or, or cite it when they're talking about themselves yes, more to more. Um, uh, external audiences? In fact, Cyprus in particular um, has been talking about um, its, its ranking in the Good Country Index for a couple of years now. Um, the, the, the current government seems to, seems to like this measurement, not only because they perform well, but because it, it's somehow in tune, I think, with, their, with, with par parts of their national strategy. Um, I get... I get calls or emails from from governments around the world, um, as, as many as ten or fifteen every year, um, basically saying we're the department that's in charge of international rankings. Um, 
perhaps many of our listeners aren't aware of the fact that there are a number of governments out there who think that their country's position in these kinds of indicators is so is important enough to justify spending public money on having a department that does nothing else other than um, look at those rankings and try and improve them. So I get these emails saying, what can we do to improve our ranking in the Good Country Index? And of course, it's very flattering. And I say, well, you know, if you really think that your ranking in the Good Country Index is important enough to want to change your policies uh, in order to uh, to improve your ranking, then I'm then I'm thrilled. But actually, improving your ranking in the in the Good Country Index is 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 very straightforward. Um, all you have to do is to go to the tab on the website that's called data sources, look at the 35 indicators and just say to yourself, what are the easy wins? Um, which one of these could we improve our performance on most easily mm-hmm. or if you like, most cheaply? I don't mind if countries do that um, because it's better to improve in the easy areas than not to improve at all or to get worse. So, I mean, for example, one of the easiest ones of all um, mm-hmm. that there are in, in the world order section that, and elsewhere in the index, there are some indicators which are about how quickly and effectively uh, countries endorse or ratify international treaties, um, which is a very important part of establishing right. a functioning international community. And the, the, there are the usual suspects. There's a bunch of countries that never sign up to any international treaty at the UN um, until 20 years after everybody else has done so. And it's just inefficiency or pig-headedness, who knows what, um, quite unnecessary. It's not so very difficult mm-hmm. to do. And um, they could gain rankings simply by being a little bit smarter about how they sign up. Because in any case, it looks bad. If it's a, if it's a treaty that everybody understands is a good thing and an overdue thing, like, um, I don't know, the, 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 a treaty on the rights of disabled people, you know, what does it actually take to get your diplomats right. and your bureaucrats and your statisticians to sit down together and say, let's ratify this right away because everybody else has. Instead, there are countries that will sit on it for 10 years um, and um, and I'm calling them out for that. Right. <laughs> right. So the, the last thing I wanted to uh, ask you about was the um, your partnership, uh, because this year, for the first time, uh, Good Country Index is published mm. in partnership with uh, Diplomatic Courier. Um, could you say a little bit about what you know what that means and uh, for the for well, the Good a, Country Index a, an and uh, what's that all about? We've, we've never had a media home in the past. Um, the last uh, five issues, I've always published it on my on my own website. Um, and it, it gets plenty of attention, but I always felt that it was about time that it had a, a media partner where we could not just once a year push out the stats, but throughout the year explore together globally and editorially um, a, a good country perspective on world events. So the really exciting thing about the Diplomatic Courier uh, partnership right. is not only that through them we reach uh, their audience, which is going to overlap massively with the audience of, of our podcast, um, because this is the international diplomatic community, it's the foreign affairs community, it's soft power, it's uh, it's it's this audience, mm-hmm. and the feedback from that audience is so precious to us because that's where um, we get the really really useful constructive suggestions about how to make a better good country index. But the other thing that's um, right that's really worth mentioning about the diplomatic courier is that. Um, it's not just the index, 
we have a Good Country channel now um, on the Diplomatic Courier website, which is the space that we're going to use to explore all of the uh, discussions um, that one can have about what is a good country, a good city, a good village, a good town, a good person um, throughout the year. And that's such a productive conversation. I'm really Very. glad we've got a place to do it now. Well, that's good. Well, it gives you a, 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 a multiplier, um, one hopes, because right. you can't do it all by yourself. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you know, I think that's a very good thing for the... Well, that's great. That's great. That's all we have time for this week. Thanks so much for listening. This has been People's Places Power. I'm still Nick Cull. <laughs>